With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my name's David Edgar and welcome to the debut edition of Heart and Hand Extra. Yes, after all these years, I've finally given in to audience demand and production company pressure to bring you a second show every week. Well, most weeks, I'll be honest there, most weeks. Uh, We're now going to give you a show on a Friday as well. It's not going to change anything to do with what will now be known as the flagship show, which will still be the usual collection that you have uh, grown to mildly like. What we're going to do though with this show is on a Friday we'll probably go into more detail over the weekend's fixture, anything that's happened since the recording of the previous pod but we also want to use it for features and to do things that we can't normally do on the flagship show. So with that in mind I thought I wanted to do something special to kick us off and I decided to speak to one of my favourite Rangers players uh, this century and I bet he's one of your favourite Rangers players too. Yes, it's the fantastic Kevin Thompson. Kevin Kevin was absolutely superb for us and uh, it turns out that he's uh, just as interesting an interviewee as he was a dynamic midfield player. I loved recording this. I think you're going to love listening to it. So without further ado, let's go over now to Kevin Thompson. Joining me now, and i be honest with you all, I'm kind of like an excited wee schoolboy here. On the phone is a man who needs no introduction, but will be getting one anyway. This, uh, one of the, the stars of the three-in-a-row team um, joined us from Hibs in 2007, I believe as well. Our second signing, it's Kevin Thompson. Kevin, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Kevin, uh, first of all, a lot of people I think already know this through the media and especially through Rangers TV where you've commented a couple of times, but uh, tell everybody what you're up to these days. Well, I've obviously retired, which, which comes as a wee bit of a shock to some people, probably <laughs> more so myself. Um, <laughs> I, knew this day was, I knew this day was going to come, but to only be 32, I think it was uh, not so much rushed because I never do anything rushed. I'm always calculated, I always think so. Um, sadly, my body, you know, it let me down a wee bit. Although, you know, I had a, a great career, and as I say, this bid was coming one day. I had plans in place. I'd already thought about what I wanted to do when I retired. So um, it was a wee bit of an unknown trying the academy, but thankfully I started it, and so far so good. It's um, it's been well received, and I really really enjoyed doing it. Do you get a buzz at working with the youngsters then? I do, and and to be honest, if you asked me when I was 27, 28, if I could work with kids, um, especially having two of my own and, and knowing how hard they are to look after, <laughs> um, they, they run the riot, to say the least. I, I, I would have told you that no chance. Um, it just it wouldn't have been something that would they. I would have had a passion about. To be honest, I always thought that when I was when I was thinking of coaching, when I retired, I would have to work with professionals and older players, or else I would I just wouldn't have the patience to do it. But. Um, I'm absolutely delighted that, that things changed when I did become a dad and um, as my boys have become young, keen football players as well, albeit they're only five and seven, but 
you know, they both love a ball at their feet and I think it was a big onus on, on, on doing something that I've done and um, I have got a strong opinion on why we are where we are as a, as a nation and, and young players and right through grassroots, right through to pro academies to the elite level um, and I thought I would give it a wee bash at trying to give something back and, and, and doing something slightly different to the to the normal player that normally retires and, and potentially disappears or, or goes straight into management or maybe tries a hand at something else. It was, it was something that I was really passionate about doing and, and something I'm delighted that I did do. Well, I was going to come to that later, actually, but it's a good entry point for it. Um, one of the things about, I, I think that, that's become clear about Scottish football in the last few years is we produce sort of promising youngsters, but they seem to get to a spot maybe kind of 22, 23, and they don't kick on the way they were accepted. And I, I would think, you know, maybe a good example for Rangers fans would be Chris Buck, who, when he came through, we thought was going to be, a, a, you know, a really fantastic player. And he went on to have a good, solid career. And there's a lot of players who do that, maybe down south in the Championship or whatever. But but why are we not getting them through to that next level, do you think? I think... Um... I think it comes down to uh, the the way we are, like society, the way we live our lives, the way we. Looking, Bucky was a great player. I, you know, I was lucky enough to play alongside him, albeit he was probably better when I played against him. He was kind of the danger man um, when I was in Tony Moby's team. He was always the one that he earmarked when we played that Rangers team. Was he? Chris Park. Chris Park was the one that he thought was the the danger man that would would cause us really like a lot of problems, and he did. To be fair. And when I first joined, um, I still remember being involved in Europe a wee bit and, and training, etc. When you start to look, have a look at the players that are, are now your new teammates, Berkey was one of the ones that really stood out. Um, I just think for whatever reason, you know, with, with Walter, he never really played wingers. And when we did have successful teams, you know, we were hard to beat. And, mm. um, you know, Berkey being a, a natural wide player um, and not really being able to potentially play up front or, or play maybe more central or whatever, he was a kind of out-and-out winger. I just think Walter and, and that era never really suited Burke, albeit he's a wonderful player and you know he did go on and have a really good career. Yeah. Uh, added added to the fact that he was a great lad as well. But I do think like when you mention Burke and you, and you and you think about boys like um, you know John Fleck, kind of another prime example, um, you know talented talented boy, probably as good a 15, 16 year old as I've ever seen when I when I joined the club. Um, and same again, he's went down the road and he's he's had a good career and he's still playing at a good level, but. To break through at Rangers and, and potentially make his debut, I think when he was maybe only 16, 17, um, you're thinking he could be a star of the future. You know, breaking into a team, albeit was a really, really strong squad. So I just think that we lack a wee bit of desire as individuals, um, a wee bit of desire as coaches as a whole, you know, wanting the best for people and, and really having a real strong passion to try and be the best that we can possibly be. I think there's something that lacks in our, our mentality is this. Scottish people in general I think um, and I just want to try and push the kids and give them a real realisation of how hard you really really have to work to get to the top um, I'd like to think I, I got no far off the top you know, but I had, I'd like to think a good career but um, I think if it wasn't through and I don't, I don't want the violins out I'm happy with my career I'm happy that I gave them all but I think if it wasn't due to injuries I potentially could have prolonged that and, and potentially got a wee bit higher up the ladder but um, I just want to try and give kids through grassroots level right down to my kind of five to eight year old class the the quick realisation that you, you don't get much in life unless you really really work hard and I, I mean that that funny burning feeling you get in your tummy that, that you know you've worked hard and I, I think that's something that we lack in players I, I noticed at the end of last season John Rankin at Dundee United had, had said something to that effect that he feels that there's maybe not the, the desire um from younger players that there was in his day to really push through um, is that something that you noticed changing throughout your career? I just, I just think that um, you know, I, I have seen that lots of people have different opinions on this and you know, I'm, I'm not one of these ex-players and, and kind of old guys that look down and frown upon young players and think they're spoiled and they've got this and they've, you know, they're driving nice cars at 17 and you know, look I'm all for kids having as much as they possibly can get um, and having wonderful training facilities because it should only help but I do think that um, having wonderful training facilities you know being in mind Hearts have got a great academy now Hibs have got a great academy Celtic and Rangers are second to none um, I know Aberdeen are trying to get plans and get an academy we've just built a 30 40 million pounds SFA development at the Orium you know we, mm. I don't think it's lack of facilities that the kids are getting I just think there's there's a mentality 
um, and a wee a wee lack of drive within within a, within too many. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't. Know, that's why I'm doing it because I want to try and pinpoint what what the what the problem is and see if I can help to try and push kids on. But um, when I did work in the Hibs Academy, um, and this is nothing against any of the players that I worked with because they were breath of fresh air, I really really enjoyed working with them. But I still thought there was something missing. And I do think that the work ethic and the determination, the, the single-minded mentality to try and be the best they can be, I, I think there's too many that lack that. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is when you were at Hibs, you came through in a team that was kind of packed with young talent, and for about maybe two years, there seemed to be a story in the paper every day linking you know, one or more of you with a move to a big club. What's that like? Going through that at that age, to you know, it's okay saying we hear players say to us, "Oh, you know, it doesn't affect me. I just go out and play." But you must be aware of that. It must have an impact on you picking up the, you know, the the, the papers in the dressing room and seeing yourself or other teammates being linked with these big glamorous moves. Yeah, of course it does. That's um, I, I think when you're a player. Um, like any player, you know, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to pick up the paper and see positive stuff. Um, I know firsthand that you know positive stuff. There's always negative around the corner, and and you have to try and grow a mindset and a, a mentality that can cope when the negatives do come. Um, any young player normally, when they break in the team, whether it be Hibs, Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, whoever, you normally pick up a lot of plaudits for being the young boy, the new kid on the block. The fans get excited to see you, to see how you're going to progress. Um, and everything for a young player first season syndrome I normally call it is you just run on the crest of a wave mm. um, and I think some players that can go to their heads um, they'll, they'll definitely have seen that yeah. I, I, think, I, I think for us luckily for us um, that group that come through I'd like to think we were talented but you know we were grounded in the respect that when we got in the first team um, I don't know about Gaz and Deeks' situation, but I certainly know about me and Scotty because we, we were that tight that you know we were on a bag of chips and a bottle for a week. We had no money. We had um, you know Scotty used to drive a Punto. We had to go on Easter Road and get changed. You would then have to get in a car and or a minibus to drive to training, um, and you train on a public pitch that that genuinely could be. Bobbly City, it could be a real poor surface. How we've managed to become good football players, probably <laughs> everything was stacked against us, but I think it gave us a good grounding. And you would get back in your car, soaking wet, covered in mud, um, and have to drive back to Easter Road up for lunch. And look, never a complaint. It was a great place to be. Um, but nowadays, obviously, when you can get in the first team, you know, kids are signing five year contracts. Um, within getting on the bench a couple of times and getting more money and, and easier opportunities to come along. And I, I think there's too many um, for 16, 18. They take their two years as a, as, a, as a honeymoon period and then it becomes too late and they've missed their chance. And I think the same when you're potentially 17, 18 and you do break into your first team and they sign these three or four or five-year contracts on, on probably good money for their age. Mm. Uh, they get caught up in too much fairy tale stuff and too many fantasies and, and they forget the basics of working hard and, and trying to keep on being the best you can possibly be. And I think if there was more that done that, I think we would create more success through, through our young talent. Just as an aside to that then, um, for Rangers fans, there were two young players in particular um, when we went into admin and then into Division 3 um, who chose to, to leave, which you know was, was the right, but that was Jamie Ness and Rhys McCabe who... You know the the fans had really really high hopes for, but they get moved to uh, Stoke and uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Good contracts and whatnot. But you look at where they are now. Do you think maybe they'd have been better, even though it was the third division, staying playing maybe hundred hundred and fifty games because they're still only twenty three twenty four um, now. But their career seems to have hit a really low point. Yeah. I, 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 I did have an opinion when that happened, and I, I still do now. And look, I, Jamie was a young boy when I was there, and so was Reese. Um, Reese was a wee bit younger. Um, I think Reese was maybe a year below Jamie. Or uh, Jamie trained with us quite a few times. Um, he was part of like Andrew Shinney, um, you know, boys like that. that used to sometimes come along and train with us. Uh, me and Jan would bring them over. So I, I kind of knew Jamie without Jamie breaking in the team when I was there. Hmm. Um, he played more when I when I obviously moved on. Um, but it's a difficult thing. It's the same with Billy Gilmore. You know, the, the, people are going to have an opinion on, on where he's best to stay. And 
you know, Billy's look. I don't know what kind of contract he's got, and I don't know what kind of contract Jamie or Reece got either. But it's really difficult to turn that down when you're a young boy. Um, I do think that Reece and Jamie, the, the situation that the club were in, the situation a lot of the young Rangers players were in, Ross Perry's boys like that, um, probably given an opportunity to play at such a wonderful club and such a huge club. Um, third division or no third division the, the magnitude that comes along with being a Rangers player in any era of the club is huge mm. and it builds, you, it, builds, it builds these young players profiles up so big um, and, and potentially they've, they've ended up with finances which were probably far greater than they ever would have got if they just stayed as youth team players at Rangers and potentially never got in the squad so it's a difficult one mm. um, and that's not knocking their ability but um, I just think it's, it's one of the ones that when situations arise um I think like the, the the biggest one for me is the boy that um McLeod. Um, yes. Who who obviously broke in the first team, probably established himself more than, than any other. Yeah. Um Definitely. Become, a, a fan, become a fan's favourite very, very quickly. Um looked a real, real talent. Um and I, I think for a for a Scottish football fan, for someone that's had, had a great time and um, love my time, proud to play for the club, to see a young talented player that's that's producing the goods week in, week out at first team level to then sign for an English team for a million pounds just tells you how poor um, we are at looking after our talent because if that was a young player down in England playing at a big club, bearing in mind the top six clubs down in England are the only ones that could even contemplate competing with Rangers um, to sign our young talent for a million pounds and then let me get lost in the system breaks my heart mm. um, and uh, in my opinion, young talent is breaking through Rangers um, and, and being given a platform to play on such a massive club should be going for millions and millions a bit like Barry Mackay to go for 500 grand in my opinion is the English taking the mickey out of oh that was a, I mean I understand if there was a point where there was a contract issue that that's fair enough but I, I think he was very much undersold at that money I, I just I just look at it as a, just as, a, as strictly as a Scottish fan as someone that's proud of our game I look at it and think that Nottingham Forest albeit they're a big club but, you know, I played against Forest when I was down there um, I know they went through difficult times, and, and I know the club they were back in the day when they had obviously, you know, the, the European Cup times and etc. etc. But they're obviously a big club. Um, but for them to sign two of our young Scottish talented players, um, and Barry Mackay and Jason Cummins for if it's reported correctly, a million and a half. A million and a half, is, I know, unbelievable. Is, 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 and I'm not saying that these boys are, are top top class players and, and they deserve to go for bigger money. But what I'm saying is in the in the context here. Um, I just think our, our young talent gets overlooked up here, um, and and I think it's under underappreciated. And Jason Cummins and Barry McKay could potentially go and play in that team next year. I hope they both do, and I hope they both do really well. They seem good lads, although I don't know Barry, but I've got a great relationship with Jason, and he's a wonderful lad, and I wish him all the best. But they could potentially rip the championship up next year, and, and Forrest are rubbing their hands, spending a million and a half quid on two players that are going to play in their team every week. Yeah. Championship players that go for championship teams that sometimes could be squad players go for a million and a half. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and, and as you say, a million and a half to them is a punt. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, exactly. that, that's fair enough. What is? I know that's getting off the point a wee bit, but just uh, regarding the, the two that you did mention, um, I just think that it's, it's difficult because these teams can't pay more money in the stage of their development in, in respect that they wouldn't deserve to earn the kind of money that they'd be earning at Stoke and, and Sheffield Wednesday, respectively as they would be at the stage of their career at Rangers playing in the third division. So yeah. it's just human nature. Your, your head can be turned. Um, I don't want to sound as well I've got an opinion on that they've went to the money because I didn't mean that. I've done the same myself. Um, you move when you think it's right for you, different circumstances. But um, I do think that our, our young talent gets gets undervalued up here. Um and, and, and the English just come and steal who they want off us for, like you say, a, a punt, basically. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and effectively, these boys get lost in the system. Now, uh, I want to talk about you because uh, that's why you're here. As, as I say, long-term listeners will know that uh, I was an, an unapologetic Kevin Thompson fanboy. So uh, we're going <laughs> to... Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm uh, quite honest about that. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is that when you were at Hibs... You played a, a slightly kind of different role. It was a different team. Tony Mowbray, very, very attack-minded coach. And that Hibs team could, could play some fantastic attacking football. Obviously, there would be the other side of it sometimes where, you know, 
it wouldn't go so well defensively. But when you came to Rangers, you you were given a, a very specific role to do, which was you you were much more of an enforcer. <laughs> Uh, whereas at Hibs you'd be more a, a, of a playmaker. Was that spelled out to you during the negotiations? Was that something that was mentioned to you, or did it evolve at Rangers? It just evolved. I, that's, I was just trying to think of the word in my head that, that why I changed. My, my game changed a bit dramatically um, when I first took my knee at Hibs. Um, I think you could ask Hibs fans that that have an honest opinion of, of watching me through my career and, and seeing how I progressed to, to, like you say, being potentially a playmaker and, and someone that could get up on the edge of the box and, and play clever passes and to all of a sudden um, you know playing slightly deeper and playing behind the ball um, I think through day one I was always a football player in my mind as in like I read the game really well I knew where it'd be um, and obviously when I played with um, Scott Browns Michael Stewart Guillaume Booslins at Hibs um, I probably had the the young leg capacity to be able to get up to around the box to then get back and, and you run about a wee bit like a headless, headless chicken to say the <laughs> least um, although Tony did try his very best to, to, to coach me and I think I did progress through Bobby to Tony to then obviously uh, moving to Rangers to, to work under under Walter um, and I, I then moved to a squad that had players like Barry Ferguson who it was natural for Barry to get up onto the edge of the box at times when I played with Barry he liked to get past the strikers you know, all the Rangers fans will know how wonderful a football player he is. He probably was at his best when he was, um, in my opinion, breaking into the box and getting on the end of things and showing everybody how good a player he was to go and score a goal and, and make the difference. Like any player, when Barry got that wee bit older, you would find him coming back the pitch that wee bit further. Mm. Uh, I just think the niche in the market for me, which I quickly found, um, was, was being the ball winner, being someone that could win the ball back, being really aggressive for the team. And um, I think it complemented every other player in the Rangers team that we had, midfielder-wise, as in Barry, when Steve obviously signed, um, when, when Pedro Mendes played, Brahim Hindani, you know, great football player. I know he never played much in, in Scotland, but the European run, he was, yep, crucial. He, was uh, he was a master class. But I would like to think that I complemented Brahim where he could bring a wee bit of composure and a wee bit of calmness. I'd like to think I could bring that as well. But the, the dirty bit, the, the bit that really hurts was the bit that come really natural to me and, and it probably never Ibrahim. Um, no, I, I think that's fair. He was and probably the same as Barry. Right, um, I, I think that's fair. Brahim Hamdani was neat and tidy and he was good in Europe, but I felt sometimes he could get lost in a domestic it game. Was, it was a bit of hustle and bustle for him in, in Scotland. It was a bit frantic. It was Brahim hated training against me. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, if, if ever I was in the opposite team for Brahim Hamdani, he gave me that look like off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd be after him. <laughs> uh, there wasn't many people that liked training against me, but the... Uh, Brahim, look, he served. I'm saying purpose. That sounds disrespectful. He was a great lad, and he was, like I say, he was a masterclass through Europe. But it never suited him in Scotland. Um, try, trying to get back to, for me, it just it just felt natural that um, the way the team evolved around Walter and we become really hardy. We, the first season was was all about work ethic and desire and commitment and, and probably a wee bit more robust, probably a wee bit less pleasing on the eye. Um, yeah, plus you were playing every a game every fifteen minutes that season. I I, I never helped that the SFA had us playing twenty games a week when we were trying to go for the quadruple. Yeah. But what, what was uh, the thoughts on that just in the dressing room? Because I know you couldn't say much at the time, but that must have been horrendous. I mean, you get to a European final and get no help at all from the governing body. I mean, that's it was sickening to the fans. I, it was, it was, and it's and look, I, I've always been a player that's appreciated fans and you know and how much money fans pay. You know, I still got lots of pals that are, are Rangers fans, and they tell me that going down to Sheffield Wednesday just there, um, and the money they have to pay to, to commitment to following the club through through thick and thin. And, and like any fan, um, an honest fan wants their team to win fairly and wants them to have the best opportunity to follow their team to see them put on the best performance they can put on. If anyone could think back to what we had to try and produce within a squad, within a group of players. Um, the magnitude of the games, the travelling that we had to endure, um, albeit I would look, I'll do it again tomorrow, but um, to have no help a, a fixture rearrangement when we, we were potentially pushing on to try and get our hands on being one of the most successful teams in the club's history, which, without sounding disrespectful to any club, we're, we're not talking about a club that's no glitter than history. Exactly. About, you know, one of the best clubs in the world. So to be part of a team that could have potentially been written in the history books forever, 
to not have any help of anyone was, was of course it was disappointing and it probably is more disappointing now when I look back at my career that um, we did have to endure such a hectic schedule, such a demanding schedule um, and, and really have no help for anyone else. I just think it's bizarre that clubs, uh, countries like France, Spain, Germany will move games for their clubs in a European final and as you say, these are countries that that you know will have finalists more often than we will, uh, and we couldn't do it. I just I found that bizarre to say the least. Yeah, it's a bit looking it's disappointing, but it's um, one thing I've always been is I've never wanted an excuse, and I, I'm never playing on excuses, whether it was injuries or whether it was um, the schedule. Like I say, I, I would do it again yesterday, but I think even an honest football fan and someone that hopefully like me now. Um, wants the best for our game and wants the best for, for Scottish footy and wants to see our teams do really well, especially in Europe. Um, I think that when you look back at that whole, whole um, period of the club's history, it was um, it was poor to, to, to say the least. Ah, absolutely. Now, um, you touched on him there and I'm going to have to ask you a bit about the man himself. I've had limited experience with Walter Smith. Um, I used to be the spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust. I had a few meetings with him back then, and I've been to a, a couple of sort of formal events, and, and in particular one dinner when he was presenting me an award with the Scottish Football Writers. And I have to say, Kevin, Walter Smith might be the most fucking terrifying man I have <laughs> ever been in a room. He, he did a speech at that. And he, he just had a way of looking at you where you just wanted to... I've had that look many times. What's it like working for him? Because, honestly, I'm sitting in a meeting and, you know, you're a wee bit overawed anyway because it's Walter Smith. And he just, he, he gave me a look, but then I thought, well, I'm just a fat... But he did it at that football writer's player. I always remember to Craig Levine. And Craig Levine had, you know. I thought, Jesus, uh, uh, I wouldn't he step he's just, out of line with this guy. He's, um, he's as good as it gets. He's... he's is now that now that I've retired and, and you try to learn some traits and look, you have to be really natural. You have to be yourself. If you try to be someone else when you become a coach, you become a manager. It just doesn't work. And look, you have to build up a reputation. You have to have different characteristics to um, to earn respect off of people. You have to treat people with respect to try and get it back. And I don't know what Walter had because I want to have it myself one day. And I, I might never, but it'll not be through lack of trying. He just had an aura that. Um, I, I say it still to this day I was only saying it just last week to someone that like, you could be in different clubs different changing rooms and you could be having a natter with one of the lads and you could be talking away you could be on your phone some clubs ban phones some clubs don't you know Walter was very relaxed with stuff like that um, he treated us like men um, and if he walked in the changing room there would be silence like I'm talking deafening silence oh, I can imagine <laughs> um, I can imagine he just, had, he, just had, he just had that thing it was the same we could all be on the bikes 25 hours warming up in the morning like we did every morning before we went out to train and he could walk in and there was he just had something about him and he, he used to make me laugh because he used to look as though he just rolled out his bed in the morning at the time <laughs> he, used to, he used to wear he used to wear flip flops with, with socks already on as in footy socks you know, <laughs> He'd have his training bottoms on, sometimes his shorts pending on the weather, and he would have one of the um, the, the rugby tops, like, you know, the, the old-fashioned collared rugby tops? Yes, like they, yes. A rugby, a rugby jersey, but with a big white collar, and obviously the collar wouldn't be folded nice and neat, and it wouldn't be buttoned up, and he would just walk in, like, not scruffy as such, he still looked cool, but he did look scruffy, if you know what I mean. No, I don't know. And he would, he, would, he would walk in, and at times, you, 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 I used to always think, he looked as though he just rolled out his bed, but... Um, one wee look and one wee walk, a walk around the gym, walk around the bikes, and uh, you know if there was any playing up and if there was anyone that wasn't doing it, which we never had that issue because we had such a great squad, demanding off each other, people wouldn't accept boys not doing it. But he just he just brought that presence with him. Um, and as for a manager, as for someone that I respect, to, to the day that I die, he'll be. I think we'll be hard pressed to ever see someone as good as Waller. Uh, the, 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 we still miss him, you know. He, he's kind of like, see for a, a Rangers supporters, Kevin. He's he's like our dad, you know. You you just that's what he's like, guys. Uh, and he, he can be so he can be so so aggressive with you and the respect that I had hairdryers off him. And um, but I, I I used to get a bit banter off the lads, and I used to get a wee bit banter off Coyste and, and uh, Kenny McDowell that I was his boy. And <laughs> if we if we ever won the league or whatever, and we were having a beer back at Ibrox, if we had obviously a function on or whatever, and he would come and have a chat with the boys and that, and he used to always say, "I get some stick off off them for for them saying I'm your dad." And that and <laughs> he just 
he just, uh, he just, I just had a great relationship with him, and I, I think he just, uh, hopefully, he respected me as a person and as a player. And um, I, I, when I went in to meet Pedro, I, I when I come down to see Jimmy, because I'd never leave without obviously popping in to see Jimmy. And Walter actually brought his grandkids into to the, the Rangers community football, and it's the first time I've seen him um, since I left Middlesbrough and big cuddle and. I could have spoke to him for hours. Um, I actually did. I spoke to him for about forty-five minutes. Just, <laughs> just never awkward. Never, do you know what I mean? Just asking me about coaching and telling me about some things that he think I should do. And I was asking him a wee bit of advice. And I said to him like how my interview went with Pedro, and he said brilliant. And I said to him, some of the stuff that I'd I'd said to him, some of the questions that he asked me, and um, and what his thoughts were, and what his thoughts were on the team. Um, albeit we were in the summer, weren't we? So the, the team had potentially finished like a wee bit disappointing end to the season yeah. uh, and I was kind of asking him his thoughts like what what would he do and that because these are all things that hopefully one day I'll get an opportunity to do whether it's at Rangers or whether it's at Cowden Beath or, or whether it's at an amateur team I just you know I, I want an opportunity as well one day to get to the top um, and I'm going to try my damnedest to get there so every wee snippet of information that managers have gave me I've all, I, you know I log it in I think I'll ask questions that in my opinion could hopefully help me one day and, and that's what I've done with Walter and just the way he is with people is just, um, you know, he's different classes, a class act. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was the atmosphere at football. I mean, specifically Ibrox, but but just in general. Fans have got this romantic notion about, you know, the 12th man and, and all the rest of it. But how much of a difference does it make to a player, um, the atmosphere? Because... You can play at Ibrox and there's 50,000, but it, it, it might not be as loud as maybe an away game where there's 10,000. I was just going to say that. Yeah, the away fans, for me, at every club I've been at, have always been the best. Always. Um, and look, there's, there's, there's no better atmosphere than than a big game at Ibrox and you know, scoring early and you know getting the fans on side and a nice summer's day and the ball getting popped around, nice slick pitch and you know what I mean, mm. everybody up for the fight, the fans excited, everybody going home happy, standing in the shower at, you know, quarter to five and three points in the bag, go home, forget about it, move on to the next. Um there is no better feeling. But I have to say when I was when I was a Rangers player, um for for considering we played all over the all over the world that you know different venues through Europe, European football, Champions League, etc. Um, even pre-season, the uh, the away fans for for however I don't know how I don't, I don't know how they, they, they managed to do it. Um, and I think that's for a lot of clubs. I was a wee bit the same when I was even at Middlesbrough, and, and you know the Riverside you could hear a pin drop at times, but um, Hibs as well the same. Do you know what I mean? Even Dundee, you know, just for whatever reason, I don't know if that's just the way it is for clubs, but. The um, I think when you go as a as an opposition player, especially a Rangers player, when you go to um to, to an opposition sorry ground and you and you have your home fans with you, um, albeit they're away fans for the day, but when you have them with you for whatever reason, um, it just it just gives you a spring in your step. See when you're warming up and see when you're trying to get focused and try and get yourself because everybody needs it. You know, everybody can say, "Oh, I get myself psyched up for a game," but that wee bit of encouragement, that wee that wee clap to the fans, that wee we song just before, like that last five minutes when you're warming up and the atmosphere's starting to bubble. That's that's the bit that gives you goosebumps and that's the bit that eggs you on as a player to, to give you that extra bit. Um, and I think the away fans, especially when I was at Rangers, was you know they were second, you know. Well, that's the other side of the coin then. Um, when you're playing at Ibrox, and, and let's be honest here, as a crowd, we are pretty quick, I think, at times to get on players. Um, I mean, it's the, the, the old, I think it was Walter that said it, you need to be winning at half-time and full-time or you'll get booed. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's that like for, for the players, you know, when, you, when you're, you know, maybe not playing well, and I'm sure you guys know something's not clicking today or whatever, and you hear it from the stands, I mean, uh, do you have to block it out or...? You, know, you... you do. I, the biggest thing I, I would say for, for me and for any Rangers player, and look, I'm not giving any Rangers player advice. They, they, they can take my comments with a pinch of salt. Um, but I think the biggest player for any player to be successful at the club is to, to quickly put that out of your mind, to quickly grow a mentality that you can cope with the groans and, and the moans. And look, we've all had it. The best players, players that are far, far better than me that play for the club. Um, you know, everybody gets it. But you get that at every ground. Um Home fans expect they want to see you win. Um, they want to see you play well every single week. There's the, at a club like Rangers, there's never a week that you can get away with playing 20 good games in a row and then all of a sudden you play one poor one because they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it is. Um, 
and you have to accept that. And I think if you do accept that and you and you build a mentality that you can cope with that, and, and sadly a lot of players don't. And I think that's the that's the downfall for for too many players that that fail at Rangers. Because I think when you get to Rangers, you've got a level of talent, you've got a level of ability that that allows you to get to such a great club like Rangers. Um, and I think a lot of people fail due to their, their personal mentality. Um, and I probably think that my mentality changed through Walter. And I was lucky. Maybe if I joined Rangers in a different era, um, that's one thing I changed as a person, as a player. And my, ta- my mentality become like a like a monster when I was at Rangers. Um, I was fo- so focused; it was it was unbelievable. Whereas things probably come that wee bit easy for me at Hibs. Um, only up and probably till the last five or six weeks under John Collins and, and moving to Rangers that I can endured any stick. Um, I'm not saying that I didn't have people that disliked my, my performances or, or maybe had a wee groan at me, but the majority I would have thought that they would have liked me. I was club captain at the time. I was probably one of the fans' favourites and, and everything just fell into place quite easily. Whereas at Rangers, for the first six months, I had to endure people not being that sure about me signing and mm, not too sure about him. He's all right. He's, do you know what I mean? And when you do get the ball away at Ibrox, like you say, they can be quick to get on your back. But my mentality changed through Walter. He told me that loads of wee tips and loads of things that I had to try and change as a person um, and I think it helped me for the good and I think if you do that quickly at a club like Rangers then you succeed in. Well my, my record at Ibrox for hearing uh, that kind of thing came after 40 seconds in a game where there was a, mis- <laughs> there was a misplaced pass and the guy behind me shouted fuck's sake Edu and I went I went that's that's Beasley mate that's no Edu he went well he's still fucking pish so I was like, right, oh, okay, you know, poor guy's not even gave the ball away yet, but he's getting it. Um, so no, we're we're not the easiest crowd to play uh, to play for. I think that that there's definitely something to that. See, when you're playing for for Rangers, it, it, this is something we as fans feel. But I don't know whether you guys, you've been on both sides of this. Do other teams raise their game when they're playing Rangers and Celtic? But you know, for, from our point of view, Rangers. Is that something that you notice? Because we always think our players, when they come here, even if they've done well in the SPFL, they have to understand that they're not going to have a game you know, that's not more intense every week. Aye, bang on. That's, uh, that's one thing I say to Scotty when I left to go to, to, um, to Middlesbrough and I come back up the road or whatever when I was at Dundee and, and obviously like even under Ronnie and that when they were getting sticked the team and, and obviously when I was at Rangers and Scotty was at Celtic the one thing you do notice the massive massive change is that when Rangers and Celtic come to town um, whether it's through to Edinburgh to play the capital teams or whether you're going to Motherwell or up to Aberdeen um, when the big teams are in town you're, you, you're up against it and, and every team raises a level it's, it's a fact um, and that's what is difficult with being a Rangers player because you play against a level of player that plays a cup final against you every week um, and, and when you're at Hibs and you're at different teams out with Old Firm um, I've seen it myself drastically when I was up at Dundee if we maybe went and played Partick Thistle or, or Motherwell come to Dens the game could be like a reserve game um, yet as soon as Rangers go up to Dens or, or Celtic go to Dens or, or vice versa it's it's all of a sudden these teams, I don't know where they get it from. Um, and I, I just think that's the mentality of the player and that's why they play at these type of clubs because they can raise their game to play against Rangers and Celtic um, for the big games and produce a performance that, that would worthy of being a good player. Yet week in, week out, um, bread and butter for them, they can fall under standards. Um, and I think that's one thing as a Rangers player or a Celtic player, any old firm player, is you have to produce the goods week in, week out. Yeah. Um, you have to be focused and you have to know that, that training Monday to Friday uh, means everything because you're sloppy during the week, you're sloppy at the weekend. That's the way I trained. Um, and, and you have to do that consistently over a period of time, whether you're at the club for a year, whether you're at the club for, for five years. Um, you have to try and find that consistency. And I think fans want you when you're a player that, that produces the goods most weeks. Um, I think every player, whether you're the best player in the world or whether, whether you're a, a Rangers player or whoever, um, I think you get a wee bit leniency when one you roll up your sleeves, pull your socks up, and you get stuck in week in week out. You, can, you, you know it's impossible to be the best player on the pitch every single week. But um, when you have the sloppy games and the sulky ones, and you start throwing your arms up in the air and and you stop doing the wee dirty runs that that fans expect of every player, um, that's when you find yourself in a bit of bother. 
I think yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there with Rangers fans in particular that we maybe more than than a lot of other supports. Yeah, we love the skillful players and you know the, the the passing football and all that. But the thing that we the the reason that team that you were in is is so loved by the Rangers support is that you had balls and we knew that you guys would go out and if even if you weren't playing well, we knew you would fight. We, you know, we knew you you guys wouldn't let us down in a scrap and. Certainly, you know, obviously the last few years have been difficult, but even before that, the Leguen team and whatnot, we know when that's lacking and we can forgive guys maybe not having the best ability in the world, but we can't accept when a, a Rangers team isn't full of guys that want to go out and have a scrap. And you, your team had that. Yeah, that's that's one thing I would say that our team was was so successful. We were, I think I was probably the youngest player in the team um, when I think of like a team we like, whether it was Whitaker or Hutton, and whether it was Queller or Bukera, Davy Weir, Papach, Marcel, Baz, Raheem, Mendes, Steve. Um, I think me and Steve were, were similar ages, obviously, so were me and Hutz, but I was younger than them. Um, Nasey was, was younger, um, he would have been the youngest, but he never played consistently when I was there, Nasey. Um, he always kind of got in and got an opportunity and then he fell out. And then you had obviously boys like Dashaville, Kuzans, um, you know, Baz, boys like that. Um, so I was kind of the, the, not so much the baby in the team, but one of the younger. Um, and we just had a mentality and a, a, I don't know the desire, commitment, um, drive within the group that when you did go to difficult venues and it was scrappy and it was a horrible game and you, you just didn't wait to get in the shower um, and you just knew what to expect. Bobby pitch going to like a St Mirren or whatever at the old stadium and you know, the pitch is great now, but it never used to be. Um, or going to a Motherwell and it just being a scrap and the, you know playing against a Terry Butcher team and the ball you know ball would just be fought for every every second but that was one good thing we had that if the ball was on the deck and it was a game of footy we had the quality to beat teams yet when they wanted to try and mix it up with us there was no way in hell that any team was bullying us um, and that was that was one good thing because when you start to play against the best players when you get into Europe you have to try and make it a fight because they're better than you. So that's what teams try to do to you. In Scotland, they try and make it a fight, but when you can fight them and you can beat them, then they come unstuck because if they try and play footy against you, you've already got the quality. That's why they're at the teams and you're at Rangers. Um, you're a better player for a reason. Um, but better players that don't have fight um, and don't have that mentality come up against a player with lesser ability, but he's got bigger fight and a bigger heart, then, then they can get the better of you. Yeah, and I, I think that you've just summed up the quintessential thing that, that Rangers fans look for in a team, which is battle, you know, because we, we think you'll be able to outplay these teams, but make sure if they, exactly. if they want to make it a fight that you win the fight first. And I think that the, the great Rangers team, certainly in my lifetime, have all, have all had that. Now, Kevin, um, obviously, right, I've been building up to this, but we've got to talk about <laughs> it. Now, there are very few guys that I can think of who have an old firm winner and it's still probably not their most famous old firm moment. Um, and and you, you you have both of them. So we'll, we'll start with the we'll start with the more glamorous bit first. Um, winning goal, the winning goal in an old firm game. What? Yeah, look, it's, 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 uh, I, I don't know how to say it. It still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. And it's look, I'm proud, and you probably only when you when you're playing and you just these things just come and go and they get forgot about I know they don't get forgot about because um, it's there but they do and, and things move on and, and obviously if you keep on being successful then then the success that you've had prior keeps on getting brought up um, I'd like to think that's the, the case with me at Rangers the, the following that I've got and the, the, the way I'm received when I go back to Ibrox still to this day is unbelievable it's touching um, the social media following that I get off the Rangers fans is you know it's second to none it's different class and like you say, scoring a, a winner in an old firm, it, it, it genuinely is the only things that you could dream of when you're a young, young lad. Albeit, I never scored many goals either. Um, it wasn't like I was putting the ball in the net every other week and goals were second nature to me. So to score an old firm winner, to, um, to score at Ibrox, to, to score um, in front of the Celtic... Oh, yes, I was going to say, it was, it was at the Brumie, yes. I, I genuinely think it was just meant to be and I, I do think at times that's sometimes what happens is things are meant to be and um, I think I was the best player on the pitch that day and, you know, but I felt like I bluffed the game and, and that's one thing I say it, I did say it as a, like any big-headed thing I've blown smoke up my own backside because it's not that we are young but the one thing I hope that I brought to the team um, in the big game for Rangers and that game especially was that 
I felt I could boss the game without the ball as well as with the ball. Um, and physically, at 23-24, whenever that was, um, you know, I felt I was as, as, as good as anyone in the country. And, and what I brought to the team, um, I know Walter and hopefully others you know, appreciated it to, to more than anyone, really. Well, I did, trust me. And, uh, <laughs> and I made sure everyone who listened to this did as well, so don't worry about that. But um, it, see the moment, though, that you see the ball, it goes in the net. I, I was there that day. Most of the listeners here, well, not, but they'll all have seen it, but a lot of them will have been in the ground that day. The noise when that went in nice. was fucking mental. What was it like to know you? I've done this. This was me. I, I made this happen. As bedlam's well, going on, as you as you can probably see from my celebration, it wasn't something that was pre-planned. <laughs> and, I, and I, I kind of knew what I was doing. I was I, I genuinely never knew what I was doing. But it's funny you see the, see the bit that gives me the most goosebumps thinking of the goal. And, and obviously, I'd like to think it was a good goal. You know, it was good a pass to Barry. Yep. Um, Walter, obviously, the video goes to Walter, doesn't it? And you see him just peering down the... <laughs> he's, de- he's, de- he's desperate to get in the change room. But the bit that gives me the biggest goosebumps, um, and it's probably the least significant bit, but... Hopefully fans will relate to it. Um, as the the video goes to Alan McGregor at the end, um, obviously the goal and like the clip and it shows Alan McGregor running towards the fans Aye. in the main stand and can he doing his big jump and run and can he celebrate him? <laughs> and you see the crowd in the background and it's it's just a hazy people. Yes, yeah, bedlam. Jump the boot and it's a bedlam and it's it's probably when I watch the video back, I would never cut it short until. I, until I get to that bit, because Griggsy was a good friend of mine, um, great goalie, best goalie I've played with in my career. Yeah, he was outstanding. Um, and, and obviously, when you score and you celebrate with your teammates, the last thing you ever think about is a goalie. Poor <laughs> bugger. And obviously, as daft as, as, as Griggsy was, um, I think he was delighted, not just for, for the team and for the club, um, but, but probably delighted for me as well. So, um, when you see someone celebrating your goal, your, your wee bit of brilliance, it's, uh, you know, it's certainly great to look back at. Now the other moment, and I'm sure you know what I'm coming to on this one. There are actually a couple though, because I remember there was a time with Dio Mancy camera where you huffed the ball right at him um, from about a yard. He had it coming, but the Celtic turn up at our pitch. Um, they brought in this. Uh, let's let's see what he was a ringer from down south on stupid wages, and he's tearing up the league, and he's going to win them the, t- the the league, and they're there at our ground, and. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen such a more perfectly executed this is our pitch arsehole than that tackle which I guarantee by the way gets posted still once a week on Rangers social media because we want it put in the welcome pack see when guys arrive this right this we'll show you the goals later right but this this is what we want was it was it something that you thought I'm going to do or was it just opportunity and I'm going to show these guys this is our pitch, this is our home? Ah, look, I, I didn't, I, I genuinely, I'm saying this for the, for, for the bottom of my heart, I didn't just say stuff that I want the fans to think, oh, that's the way it should be. I, I never earmarked Robbie Keane. Um, anyone was getting it. <laughs> it, just, it, it. It just so happened to be him. Um, you actually see the way I went running towards, Kamara comes in the pitch. Lee McCulloch goes towards him. If Kamara had skipped by Lee, I was giving Kamara. Someone was getting it. So, <laughs> um, it just it just so happened to be um, and Robbie and and see what see what made me rage more, which was probably the worst thing for Robbie, is that one he pulled my jersey after I parted him and and he pulled me down towards him and I pushed him away. It annoyed me because. He, he said something to me um, I can't mind what it was but he, he never cashed me off as such but he called me like a wee prick or something and as I'm running back I told him he's fucking getting it again <laughs> and, the, and, the ball, and the ball went obviously out and it went to Scotty and I, I actually went tearing out because somebody else was getting it as well and it worked on the right hand side I think Scotty clipped it down the right and Kamara cut inside the kind of thing was that you can tell I've watched this a hundred times <laughs> he, he played it into the middle of the pitch I, I think it gets cleared off the gear I hit some big big jig um, breaks I think maybe to Scotty again passes to the wee boy in the middle of the pitch I can't remember the boy's name um, and he passes it to Robbie again and I swear I had fuck I was a bull now <laughs> again um, and I was I was going for him this time and he started talking to me through the game and a hand on heart and look Robbie Keane's a wonderful player he gives he doesn't give two monkeys about Kevin Thompson I understand that but he was shiting himself that day 
And every time I went near him, I told him, "You fucking get me," because <laughs> uh, because he was because he, he started speaking to me through the game and yeah. telling me what he was telling me. It got my back up, and uh, no, no, normally many people get my back up, but some of the things that he said to me um, made me rage. Um, and it's probably for him the worst thing he'd done. Oh, I genuinely think that wrong guy uh, to pick on. Aye, aye, and I, I genuinely think that Walter used to always say to me. Um, obviously, I've said this before. The punters, you know, who, who's getting it? Who's getting it in the first ten minutes? And I used to just laugh and say, "I don't know, somebody." <laughs> um, and he always used to say to me whenever we had chats that if I clattered somebody and, and put my stamp and my presence on the game within ten minutes, we would win the game. Um, and I was a winner. Look, I left. I, I, I started as a winner. I finished as a winner. I left the club as a winner. Um, and and one thing for me which I'm proud of, probably prouder than, than anything that I achieved in my career, was that when the big team come to our patch, I never got beat off them once at Ibrox, and, and I left no getting beat off them at Ibrox, and I started no getting beat off them at Ibrox, and it, it just, to me as a player, it meant everything, because I knew how much it meant to the fans, yeah. and, and I always thought big games need big players, and I'd like to think I was one of them. Uh, I I don't think we're going to talk that to be honest. So I mean, uh, I, I I want to ask you before you go though. Um, Manchester, um, obviously one of one of the things I still remember that days um, your, your performance in midfield and the scrap that you guys had because that was a right good team you were up against that day. I mean, they pumped Bayern Munich in the the semi finals. Um, what was it like that day for the players? Because for the fans, it was just this incredible emotion. Um, and the city being festooned. What's it like to play in a game of that magnitude? It was, it was, it really is. It's unbelievable. It's, I, I had one of my school boys that I worked with in my academy, and he's, uh, he's a big heavy wee Ben, and he's a great lad. I've had him for day one. He's up at St. Johnson. And I work with him, and I, I do a wee bit of extra fitness in that with him. And I've had him in and showed him my games room and that. And um, albeit he doesn't particularly like the blue stuff as much as he likes the green. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I, I was showing him my medals um, just to try and give him something to aspire. Anyway, what he could see them. Look, I'm not one. I'll come and see this and come and see that. It's not my, it's not my style. But he's, uh, his dad's big into collecting his memorabilia and that as well. So um, I was showing him my UEFA Cup medal. And actually, when I put it away, I thought to myself, "There's no many Scottish players no. that'll ever get yeah. one of them." And I've had the opportunity to do what we've done in 08. And to be part of that, um, looking back, to, to think of the run, to get in the group of death. And, and we were all the same as players, probably the same as fans. Yeah. That, whatever it was on the, the Monday morning or, or during the week, whenever the the, day, the the night of the draw to the next again day in training, thinking, Poof, we might not get any points here. <laughs> <laughs> German champions, French champions, and, 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 and then the kings of the kings yeah. um, in Barcelona. So to get through that group, I know we only got through it to get to to um, to the UEFA Cup, but um, to get seven points, um, you know, out of eighteen against eight teams, and and I think the fans still looking back to to go over to uh, to France and win. Oh yeah. To to, to, to draw against, and I, I genuinely think uh, you maybe could argue maybe now, but I think that Barcelona team um, back then in 08, um I think. Probably the best Barcelona team ever. Yeah, with players like Deco, Ronaldinho, you'd mess probably it's probably the best. Eto. You could argue would that team beat this and that. I don't like to compare years, but you never know because they're never going to play against each other. Who was better? But what a team they had! Um, and it was probably like the iconic Barcelona team when they were just becoming like superstar in every single position. Mm. Um, superstars in the bench, superstars in the stand. The way they played, their philosophy, their style. Um, to, to, to draw against them at Ibrox was, I've never been so tired in all my life <laughs> um, to then go on what we've done um, all over the world competing and, and knockout stages to, to then one day get to Manchester was was, was unbelievable and I, I, I hope obviously next year it'll be the anniversary 10 year anniversary getting there and I, you know, I hope the club do something um, regarding the players that obviously were, were part of that squad I know it's never the same when you don't win compared to obviously been a runner-up but I still think it was a, an unbelievable period in the club's history and to be part of it, it was amazing um, the game itself was just it's a bluff to be honest um, but like you mentioned they were a top top team um, and people still have their opinion today should we have went for it should we have changed and look you're, you're talking to the master that, that has the plan to get us through that group all the way to Manchester 
there was no one hell that we were going to change. Mm. Um, and I genuinely believe, we, I thought we were going to win. I thought we could win. Um, and I think at half-time, when I trotted off the pitch to, to a blister and noise, the game plan was going swimmingly well, exactly the same as a lot of other games in Europe in the respect that when we did get a chance, when the chance arose, we would have the quality to stick it in the back of the net and then we would have the quality to defend. But we... Um, Sadly, we just come up, come up trumps, and, and the wee bit lady luck that we, I'd like to think we did have through the campaign, we, we just fell a wee bit short in the final, and there's probably never been as big a disappointment as, as sitting on the pitch with, with tears in my eyes, um, looking at my mum and dad in the stadium, um, thinking that you had kind of let down so many thousands and thousands of people that, that travelled down to Manchester. Well, I was in the stadium that night, and I, I can assure you that. The fans didn't in any way feel let down um, because growing up, I never thought that I would get to see a Rangers team in a European final in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm choking up actually talking about it just now. I genuinely <laughs> never thought, and I was I was there that day with my dad, and to be able to, you know, the two of us to be able to go and see that together, and that was replicated for literally hundreds of thousands of bears to get that day. So you you don't none of you guys ever need to to feel you let us down because you gave us the greatest day and the greatest run and it's it's never ever going to be forgotten. Uh, well, look, it's and I I'm, I think every player would be the same. To be part of it. it was just a it was a special time and um, I, another wee bit of regret, wee bit of disappointment is to to to, to win a title, we win a cup double to to build a team that you know we have some young Scottish talent. Um, talking about talent earlier, to, to think of that team that that Walter had built, and um, you know he was always on the lookout for a striker. I know he brought in Yelovich after obviously I moved on, but um, you know if that team stayed together, myself included, and he and he did bring in Yelovich to strengthen us that summer. Um, you know you can only think of what the team potentially would have went on and achieved because um, we were we were the best, um, and and there would have been a long long way to go to try and catch us, and and he'd be part of that. To look back on, on so many fond memories of the three and a half, four years that I was at the club, um, you know, I'm delighted and, and, and privileged and honoured to, to feel that I was I was part of the club's history. Well, listen, Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. For I've I've it's thoroughly lovely. enjoyed Pleasure. it. It's been it's been so great. Just before we go, then tell the people uh, where they can find out more about the, the Kevin Thompson Academy. Well, as it stands, I've I, I've only really. Uh, Advertised through obviously social media. I've obviously got Twitter. Um, how you managed to get in touch with us? Um, and, and obviously I've got Facebook, um, Kevin Thompson Academy, and it's just really through email, um, Kevin Thompson Academy um, at gmail com. If anyone wants to come through, um, I've actually got a couple of young Rangers lads that come through for two to two, which is great. You know, travel all the way through Ayrshire. Um, the dad loves bringing them through. The kids love it. I've actually took on their two wee brothers now as well, talented wee young players as well, and. I just try. I just try my best for every kid, um, regardless of whether you're an elite player or whether you're in one of my talks classes. My wee five to eight year olds, I, you know, I get a buzz off it, and um, it hopefully it just keeps on growing. Um, the way it's been received, the, the, the boys like yourself, you know, giving me a wee plug, and um, we are the People Magazine, obviously, give me a nice wee, wee spread in that as well. I do a wee column for them, and, and obviously Tom through at Rangers TV. Um, the, the way the Rangers fans and, and the way people have received it has been has been different class and if I can keep on building it I did the same as I was as a player I want to be the best if I fall short it'll certainly not be through lack of trying um, I give every kid the same commitment as I did as I was as a player for every club that I played for um, and if I can help them in any way then, then I think it's been a success So thanks very much to Kevin Thompson for doing that. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And uh, please give him a follow on Twitter. He's at K Thompson Academy. Uh, that's at K Thompson without a P Academy. And uh, you can also uh, go and like his page on Facebook, as he mentioned there. Just search for Kevin Thompson Academy and go along and, and you know, do that and give him your support because uh, he's, a, as you heard there, just a really intelligent, articulate guy. And uh, I, I, 
I'd like to, to thank us Bears can give him a, a wee helping hand at the start as he makes his, his way in coaching uh, in terms of the show then uh, a, a cracking way for us to, to kick heart and hand extra off like I say we'll be coming to you all throughout the season on a Friday mainly with game previews and maybe a review of what's gone down uh, the rest of the week that hasn't been covered on the previous show but uh, overall uh, they probably won't be as long as this but we will try to do some different features throughout the season maybe covering different subjects such as you know history such as like fans etc and uh, we'll, we'll chat to different people so please uh, give us your feedback let us know if you enjoyed this let us know if you like the idea uh, I'm on Twitter it's at Ibrox Rocks that's R-O-C-K-S and uh, you can also follow us on Facebook just again search when you search for Kevin's page search for Heart and Hand the Rangers podcast if you want to continue to get H&H Extra, and I hope you do, if you are subscribed to us currently on any of the platforms that you use, then don't worry, it'll just download automatically. Uh, if you don't subscribe, it's maybe the first time you've come across us, then please do, and uh, you'll get all our other content. And uh, if you can, I'd be very grateful if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us a great deal. It's a great way for you to support the show. Uh, Please do take you two minutes and uh, we would really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening. My name's David Edgar and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.